Hello and welcome to the Four Wheel Dive Podcast. I'm Tim Masso. He is Kyle Lindsay, YouTube's original King of Cars. The podcast starts now. Kyle, we are doing a garage check. What's in the garage? You've got more to say, so you're going to go first. But you got to tell me cars, projects, new acquisitions. Fill us in. Oh my goodness, where do I start? Which shop? <laughs> Which garage? <laughs> Let's start with the Ford. Let's start with the Fairline Crane Victoria, because I think that's probably the most charismatic car of the moment. It just broke on YouTube. Tell us a bit more about this. Yeah, so it's a 1956 Ford Fairlane Crown Victoria, an absolutely beautiful car. I've always wanted something from the 50s, just because, you know, especially mid to late 50s, because it was such an iconic time of automotive design. You were coming out of World War II. So, you know, it, it, manufacturers took a while to, to catch up and, uh, you know, start new trends and whatnot. And you really saw pretty much everybody across the board pushing the envelope with just the most, uh, you know, crazy styling, you know, the big spins the 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 bigger the car the better i mean one of my bucket list cars is a 59 cadillac um but i i actually found this crown victoria locally and uh i, I just couldn't pass it up because for me I didn't, there wasn't a particular car of the 50s, except for a 59 Cadillac, but that's like unobtainable nowadays. Um, but I was looking more for something that was a perfect representation of the era, the right colors, the right options, the right styling. And Chevrolet, you know, they had the 210, the Bel Air, all the different variants of that body style. You know, the Tri Fives, everybody knows what a Tri Five Chevy is. Um, and Ford had the Fairlane and a bunch of different body styles to compete against, you know, the Chevy counterparts, but Chevy didn't have something like the Crown Victoria that, you know, it, it, the Crown Victoria was just so unique with the, the crown of chrome as they, as they call it. And, and just how the roof line is shaped. I mean, it's just such a pretty car. Like you just got to check out the video. Yeah, I recommend that because if you don't know what Kyle's talking about, you haven't seen the greatest B-pillar in the history of the world that turns <laughs> the Fairlane into a Crown Victoria. Absolutely. And, um, you know, I guess I'm lucky because I, I can say for once I've seen something that you haven't seen because you mentioned in your introductory video that there's also a Skyliner with a transparent roof over the front seats. And yeah. I actually did see one of those at the Ooh. Amelia Island Concours auctions. But I mean, that gives you the kind of idea of like where those cars show up. Oh, that's awesome. And it has not been entirely without grief. There was a bit of an episode just recently on Instagram. Yeah, there's with old cars, there's always something, you know, it's, uh, you know, th this this car was restored in the late 2000s, and it's it's a very nice restoration, but it has been used over the last, you know, bunches of years. 
and it had sat for a while and uh with with sitting a while comes comes issues and leaks and all that kind of stuff so i have had to go back and fix a bunch of things do a bunch of basic maintenance stuff um what tim is talking about my uh the the ram for the power steering system just blew a seal so i came in the it was leaking but i came in the shop the other day and there's just a massive puddle of a fluid on the floor. I was like, that's, that's nice. So I've ordered parts, but I'm like two weeks behind of being able to finish it with everything else that I'm doing. So, you know, it comes, there's a trade-off is a wonderful experience of being able to drive just a, a, a time capsule, but you got to fix a lot of stuff all the time. <laughs> yeah. I mean, but you know, at least, you know, it loves you because it marked its territory. Absolutely. You know, it's, it's, it's fine. It's all good. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I mean, you've got a lot going on in the garage. Tell me a little bit about that T-Bird behind you. Yeah. So the T-Bird is actually one of our newest client vehicles for, uh, our, uh, my buddy and I's new shop, uh, K and J design and auto works. This car, um, I've got a video of it on YouTube. I'm working on finishing up another one. It's a one owner estate car out of New York. Um, very, very much loaded. Power everything. Um, extremely original. Beautiful car. It's got some rust on the rockers and rear quarters, you know, New York stuff. But other than that, the car is spotless. Um, I'm really, really looking forward to making some more video content on it. Um, I'm doing a lot of the basic service stuff in the first video. We got it running for the first time and who knows how many years. And I just finished redoing the entire fuel system. I'm just waiting the car waiting for the carburetor to come back so we can really get this thing running and hopefully get it movable under its own power. Yeah, definitely. Well, I mean, there's a lot of uh, similarity between the Fairlane and the Thunderbird mechanically. Does it help? Yeah. At the same time. It's, it's amazing how similar the two cars are. So 56 Thunderbird, 56 Fairlane, you can see how much the Thunderbird, which came out in 55 influenced Ford's general design language, especially for their big cars. I mean, the, the taillight assemblies are the same. The motors, the Ford Y block are pretty much the same. The Fairlane has a 292. This Thunderbird has a 312 from the outside. You can't tell a difference, but um, the Thunderbird was available with a 292 and actually on the front, uh, the fenders of the Fairlane, it's got Thunderbird V8 written across it. So that was, that was one of Ford's big selling points. Like, look at all of this, this Thunderbird stuff we crammed into this big car for sportiness. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, the funny thing about the first generation Thunderbirds is I think when most people think of a Thunderbird, even though it went through innumerable different iterations over 11 generations people think of those first three years the thunderbird the 55 the 56 and the 57 and almost nothing else yeah i mean the, the original baby bird because you know the thunderbird was the direct competition to the corvette and the corvette uh, especially in the first few years if you actually find one of those they command big dollars now the thunderbird the first generation hasn't quite caught up to that but the market has definitely increased uh, in recent years and you can pretty much buy every part of this car in, in the restoration market which is fantastic um you know I, I it's it's such a pretty car the biggest downside they're extremely small on the inside they have less room than a I would say it's comparable probably to a first-generation Mazda Miata. Very tight. 
Um, the steering wheel is in my chest just about. But it's just, there's nothing else like it. And after the first gen, Ford went more upmarket luxury with the Thunderbird. And uh, aside from the last generation the you know the retro futuristic the retro bird. bird yeah yeah the retro bird that came out in 2002 this was the only generation that had it was just a two-seater they went four-seater from now on the corvette stayed for performance the thunderbird went for luxury and when we talk about resto mods i'm going to mention my my beloved like third generation thunderbird they made it into a fake two-seater with a tonneau cover but we'll get yep. there in time <laughs> yep <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> So let, let me know. Um, okay, you've got the two Fords now, and those are going to remain more or less stock. But you got some projects too. Yeah, I've, there's all sorts of stuff in here. I was just counting it earlier. I've got five vehicles in the shop right now. Two of them are clients. Um, but as far as my main, well, I say main project, I've got a lot of projects. The two big projects in the shop at the moment is my wife's. 69 Chevrolet Chevelle. Um, it's actually a four-door. It was a, you know, a regular old 307 Power Glide powered four-door sedan. You know, grandma special. It, it was her grandma's car, and uh, she inherited it. And we decided uh, to actually build a pro touring resto mod out of that thing, which nobody does on four doors. Every single person I've talked to said, "Are you nuts?" Absolutely. <laughs> But uh, so we've got that car and I've got my 89 Nissan 240SX, which was my first official project on YouTube, which um, I should actually start diving into more um, in the next couple of months. We, we fortunately got a, a new sponsor, uh, AutoLeap. They have a, a shop management software that we use for K&J and stuff, but they'll be sponsoring the completion of the car. So all the body work and the cosmetics and the, the custom fabrication work that we still have to do to the outside. So lots of stuff in the works and all the other projects are outside <laughs> yeah so before we dive into the resto mod segment of the show i'll do a quick auto inventory in my garage because it's short for now um a lot of guys know that i'm an american car guy uh and look there are two great pillars of sports car enthusiasm in the world there's porsche and there's corvette and for me it's corvette so i've got a 2002 c5 it's the corvette i grew up with in the 90s uh, and i just wanted the most basic driving experience i didn't quite have the budget for a z06 at the time so i'm like look i want the base suspension i don't want multi-valving i don't want 20 year old magna ride i don't want to have to deal with that i want a v8 i want a six speed i want rear wheel drive i went with the 2002 uh because they're a little bit better sorted than the early cars i think from 2001 forward you don't have to deal with this weird bosch abs traction management system that can't be replaced or rebuilt so fortunately the one in the 2001 forward can be so i got that uh and it's amazing how good a basic car can be it's 350 horsepower 375 pound feet weighs about 3250 so 3250 pounds but i can tell you that if you turn off the traction control in this car you can scare yourself we forget like in the era of 1000 horsepower evs how exciting a big, loud, stupid V8 with even 350 horsepower can be. Oh, that's the truth. I mean, people underestimate the value of just 
like you said, how much fun a more basic car can be. And I mean, it's not a basic car by any means. It's just in, in relative speaking, compared to what we're dealing with now, we're spoiled. <laughs> we like, are. I mean, we've got all-wheel drive, torque vectoring differentials, electronic stability control, traction control. I mean, it get you know, everything has an automatic transmission, even hardcore sports cars. So when you're like, Dear God, if I were to like put this thing in first at highway speed, I would blow the mill. Like, I, I could do that. There's nothing stopping me. It's no. almost scary to think. <laughs> oh, it's awesome. And it's just a lot of fun. So, guys, if you're out there and you've got like fifteen to twenty thousand dollars, go out, get yourself a really good C5 Corvette. You don't even have to bother with the Z06 unless you're going to a track or like a grid life type thing. You're gonna have a lot of fun with the basic. Chevrolet Corvette six speed. It's a T56 behind an LS1. That's where the legend started. And you're just going to have a hell of a good time with enough space for four people in a two seater car. You've got so much luggage under that hatch. I would love to find me a T56 to have on hand just for for a side project at some point. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. You, you know it for a fact. Like if you're going to do like any old car you're going to fit a modern ls1 you're not going to do like some sort of automatic transmission cruiser uh, do a t56 it's the way to go you can find them they're relatively compact in the corvette c5 it's it's in a transaxle location which is kind of cool because it's in the back of the car like a ferrari daytona yep. um but yeah just an unbreakable transmission the c5rs i think use them at le mans so if they couldn't break it with ron fellows and johnny o'connell you're not gonna absolutely so resto mods then i think uh we're sort of we already broached it but tell me a little bit about the resto mods you've got going on right now or at least the ones that are closest to being finished or alternatively the most entertaining yeah so i love this topic i could probably talk way longer than what we have time for today um First and foremost, I do think the word resto mod is overused. It, yeah. it describes a specific type of build. You are basically restoring and modifying a classic car. Now, that is a very high-level deal. There are so many facets to resto modding something. I mean, it'll, it'll make your head spin. Um there are times where it's appropriate. There are times where it's not appropriate and everybody's got a different definition of what it means. And I've probably overused it myself on YouTube describing my own builds, but I mean, the basic definition of resto mod, if you're restoring and modifying it technically works. Um, yeah. <laughs> okay. Before we jump into what you're resto modding, uh, a couple of ground rules. Because a lot of people react the wrong way to resto modding. Yep. We're not taking matching numbers ZL1 Camaros uh, and dropping in LS1s. No. Um, we're not taking uh, E-type lightweight Jaguars and dropping in LS1s. It's always an LS1. But my point right. is we're not taking something that's super rare or super important or completely intact and bastardizing it. We're taking cars that are needy to begin with or just not that interesting. Absolutely. Yeah, that, that was good. That was going to be my first thing that I was going to talk about. So, I mean, number one, when is resto modding appropriate? I personally believe resto modding is most appropriate if you, like you said, if it's, if it's not some high, high dollar car that is worth more in its original condition, like the Thunderbird behind me, if it has already been kind of modified to the point where it just doesn't make sense reverting it back to stock, 
you may, might as well just keep on the path and you can still have the original motor, but improve it a little bit. Maybe throw a Holly Sniper fuel injection system on it or, or put power disc brakes on it or something like that to where you're not really taking away the car's original character, but you're just enhancing the overall experience, making it safer, making it more reliable. But then you have certain instances where, I mean, let's say you have, you know, just hypothetically speaking, a 67 Camaro that is a complete basket case and it would cost as much, if not more, to do a stock period correct restoration than to do a LS swap resto mod. You know, LS swaps obviously are quote overdone a lot of people are tired of seeing them i am not one of them there is a reason they're so popular they're good they're relatively cheap and there's parts everywhere if you've got the skill to do something outside the box and stuff go for it <laughs> but I, I love me i love me a well-sorted ls swap um but I, I i love 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 the idea of being able to take a car that has the potential to have new life breathed into it. So you basically have an old body with all new underpinnings. You can get in and drive it halfway across the country if you wanted to without worry. You can go to your local parts house and pick something up for it instead of hunting around. I mean, it's there's a, there's a lot of benefits to it. Yeah, and it's important to note that, like, there was a time, especially with old, like, e-body Mopars or, like, you know, 6970 Camaros that began life as something really, really timid, like a 6 or a 318 in the case of, like, an old, an old Challenger. And we used to be in this position, like, back in, like, 2000, 2001, 2002, when I was, you know, a younger version of Tim Masso. And there were really only two different ways to go with something like that. Uh, you know, you'd build it up into some sort of a race car or you would turn it into a replica of the car you wanted it to be. So you drop in like a 446 pack or you'd find a street Hemi. Uh, and the problem with that was not not so much that people didn't have fun with them on their own. It's that stuff like that started finding its way into the market, posing as the real thing. And with a resto mod, you know, no one is pretending that old 70 Challenger is a real Hemi. Um, no one's pretending that Hemi Cuda is the real deal. No one's trying to sell it at the equivalent price. You're going out, you're getting a crate engine, you're billing the car as a rust mod and it's cool and it's fun, but it's not sinister. No one's trying to con anyone else. Right. Yeah. Yeah. No, so, I mean, no, a hundred percent. I mean, the biggest thing that I think a lot of people struggle with nowadays is not losing touch with the original history of the car, not, not taking away too much of it. And at the same time, you know, making sure that the cars that are survivors, cars that should be preserved are done so in the right fashion, or if it is going to be modified in some degree that it's done the correct way and not a way that let's just slap something together to, you know, give it a little something extra. But at the end of the day, it, it really doesn't do anything but cost you time, money, and headache. <laughs> yeah, and no, I'd agree with that. I think, you know, there's a special place in the world if you want to build like a replica bullet Mustang or, you know, a vanishing point challenger, which, you know, historically is going to be either a 383 or a 440 because that's what they used making the movie. Um, but aside from that, in, in general, the rest of mod allows you to create something that maybe is the car of your dreams. 
um, without creating the hazard that comes with a very realistic looking like 446 pack car out on the road, potentially finding its way into the market. And that's what's great about the LS swaps, because you take the LS3 and everyone knows that it's cool to own a 62 vet with a fuelie. I mean, that's that's awesome. Fuel injection in 1962, 61, 60 is really neat. But if you find one of those things and it's clapped out and it doesn't have a drivetrain or the engine was blown years ago, you put in an LS3 and now you're not pretending that this is like an authentic fuel injected 1962. You've got something that's First of all, probably a lot more fun than the original and very honest about what it is. It's car culture at its best. It's ingenuity at its best. Um, and, and, you know, then it's yours. You've created something unique. Yeah. I mean, with with my case, you know, I've, I've got certain vehicles that I want to keep original for as long as uh, the, the aftermarket and the, you know, the parts supply will allow me. Like uh, I've got a 1948 Ford Super Deluxe. It's a two-door sedan original flathead v8 three-speed trans the motors motor and transmission has been gone through before car has been rewired i mean i really haven't done any updates to it and i love it you cannot substitute the coolness of a ford flathead v8 <laughs> and you know the thing still has manual drum brakes it's yeah i've driven it on the highway before it's an absolute scare <laughs> but it's fun it's just an experience that you cannot replicate so no that is not appropriate for me to resto mod that because it's it's a time capsule but with the 56 crown victoria it is still pretty original but somebody swapped out the original teapot carburetor for for an edelbrock and it's got some other things that's been done to it and stuff so it has already been touched i don't want to change the motor i don't want to do anything like that because i like the y block it's a cool motor and and that car is valuable enough to keep it as original as possible but like i was talking about before about putting one of those self-learning fuel injection systems on it toss that on it it just makes it more reliable gives it a little bit better performance and at the end of the day it still looks like a carburetor so you're not taking away from that original look yeah and that's another issue i think that that comes to mind with resto mods because there is this world of like the high-end resto mod where you can send your w198 300 sl to amg and they'll actually drop in any modern AMG engine you know you want. And I'm sure the engineers are crying as they do this. But revertibility is important. If you take something that's got real value, that still has a lot of original fabric left, you've got to make sure that the modding is reversible because there's some Rubicons you know you cross uh, where you either change the body or change the frame or you make internal changes to the engine that a speed shop would make. Um, with something like your Fairlane, you're going to make changes, but they're revertible. Right. Absolutely. And I think also we're, we're sort of heading in that direction. Uh, I'm not sure I would ever push the button on this, but some people can go to Aston Martin these days and they'll install an EV conversion. So you can like take your car into the center of London when they start phasing out, you know, gas powered cars. That sort of thing needs to be revertible too. You need to be able to put the car back together. Right. <laughs> yeah. There's there, 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 there comes a point where, uh, like you, you just have a, lo a lot of money to throw at something to make your dream car and stuff. And, you know, whether whether that's the right thing to do on said vehicle or not, it's it's irrelevant because, you know, you do what you makes you what makes you happy. But if you're looking to get real money out of certain vehicles, I mean, it, it doesn't matter what you do. Resto modding will kill it. 
Yeah, there used to be um, in the Volkswagen Beetle community. Once upon a time, everyone knows the Carmen convertibles because, I mean, Carmen converted VW convertibles lived on into like my era with the Golf and like our lifetime. But originally there were two suppliers. One was Carmen, of course, and then one was Hebmuller. And Hebmuller was a much more high-end, low-volume outfit. And the cars they made were more luxuriously equipped, more distinctively rebodied, and they were visibly different. And then at one point, the whole factory burned down and there were no more of them. But the thing is, some people started getting it through their head that they could take split window early 50 bugs, which have a lot of historical value in their own right. And because that was the basis for like a Hebmuller conversion, they would just chop that, make all the same changes, create the body panels where necessary and do like a replica Hebmuller. But the cost was a split window bug, which is itself important and hard to find and rarely preserved. And I think in the end, like the bug community came down against that. Because the original car is more valuable than the fake version of the Hebmuller you convert from it. And there's there's a lot of instances where that is simply the case. And at the end of the day, you know, you, you can argue with people all day long on, you know, if this is right or that's right. You know, at the end of the day, it just boils down to personal preference. I mean, there's sometimes, you know, a group of people like, you know, you, you, there's always purists in every corner of of our hobby, so to speak. And we all like what we like. We don't I don't want to see, you know, an original Ford flathead pulled out for a, for a Chevy small block. But people do it all the time. You know, it's just a difference of opinion with a lot of it, really. You know, it's kind of funny from like a car culture standpoint. Remember that old Beach Boys song, Little Deuce Coop? In the song, the car still had the Ford flathead, which is almost never like the case. I know. <laughs> <laughs> Little Deuce Coop with a flathead mill. And, you know, the funny thing was then on the cover of the album, they had a picture of a car with an Oldsmobile supercharged. So you know, <laughs> it can't be helped. <laughs> That's awesome. So now let's let's talk about dream resto mods like. Okay, let's say you're a few years down the line with the garage, business is thriving, you've you've got the resources to pretty much call your shot. What does that dream resto mod look like? Where do you start and where do you end up? Well, seems like my car purchasing adventures has been unpredictable over the last couple of years. Okay. There's a lot of potentially good deals out there, you know? <laughs> <laughs> um so let me focus that uh discussion on in onto uh what i have in front of me um so potentials that i would like to tackle at some point um first and foremost i've got a 49 studebaker commander regal deluxe starlight coupe big word big name <laughs> um Really cool car. Um, I found it by accident when my, my wife and I went to look at uh, at an old international pickup that ended up being too much of a rot box. I had never seen one of these cars before. And if you've never seen a Studebaker Commander Starlight Coupe, definitely check it out. It's got they they 
It came out in 1947 in both the Champion and Commander, which is basically the same car, but the Commander was more of the top of the line. It had longer, uh, more more substantial looking bodywork in the front. It had a larger flathead six. It was just the, the cream of the crop. Um, Studebaker was actually the first uh, American car company to come out with an all-new car post-World War II. Fun fact. Um, but this car is a complete car. It is not without its issues. You know, it needs total restoration. But the original motor has a big, giant hole in the side of the block. <laughs> uh, rod through the block? Yeah, the inners became outers at some point. I actually have the rod that came out of the motor, which is awesome it came out with such force it blew the generator bracket almost 90 degree <laughs> i wouldn't die to hero i know but i've i've actually been collecting parts for that car for the last couple of years i've got a lot of new old stock body parts a lot all the all the rubbers a lot of trim and i i envision that as a sweet resto mod because now, Studebakers are cool. Studebaker has a still to this day a very passionate fan base. Most of the people who like Studebakers like to see them all Studebaker, which I like to drive my cars. I want to be able to get in it and go. I don't want to have to try to track down Studebaker parts, which depending on what it is, there's a lot of stuff still available, but there's also a lot of stuff that isn't. Um, so I envision that car as a really cool resto mod. I don't know what powertrain I would go with and stuff, but I've, I've just been trying to focus on the, the, the core parts of the car, the cosmetics that is, that are, that is hard to find. So that's my number one at the moment. And so if Kyle has his way in like a dream world where everything is possible, Studebaker R3 powertrain. Yeah. <laughs> anything's possible absolutely possible. <laughs> i'll just throw all the monies at it <laughs> <laughs> okay so maybe maybe we just maybe we just take like a supercharged 289 and we'll start there yeah start there. <laughs> or just find another ford flathead v8 somewhere and shoehorn that in there so at least it'll be period correct <laughs> yeah, well, if you're gonna go period correct with a flathead go exotic F find the v12 flathead from like a zephyr I know where one's at. <laughs> oh, there, you got the hookup. Now you have to I, do it. Crystal and I got so close, so close to buying a 47 Zephyr. The motor wasn't locked up or anything. Ooh. It didn't have a title, so I'd have to get one and all that stuff. But there, try to find parts for a 47 Zephyr. They're not out there. <laughs> as bad as it sounds, guys. I was like, that car will rot in the ground before I ever get a chance to touch it. So I had to leave it where it was, sadly. But yeah, it basically looks like my Ford V8, just longer. Really okay, cool. So add a few cylinders. Yeah, guys, there was a time and a place in American history when Ford was trying to make a V12 that was both exotic and affordable at the same time. And for a few years, they actually did it with the Zephyr. I mean, what a car. The earliest versions of it were super slick. The post-war versions were massaged by Raymond Lowy. All of them are cool. You just got to get over the idea of like a V12 with 110 horsepower. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, back, back to the, you know, when to, when to decide if something's uh, resto mod appropriate or not, yeah. you know, like this, this Studebaker that I have, it's, it's not worth much. Sadly, Stu a lot of Studebakers just don't pull big monies. So, I mean, you either build it purist like 
because that's what you truly enjoy or you build it full resto mod because that's what you truly enjoy. <laughs> Both of which is going to cost a lot more money than you'll get out of the car at the end of the day. You just have to decide what makes you happy. Yeah, I mean, that, that one's going to be one to drive. At some point, you'll find like a twin traction rear end, so it'll hook up. You'll, you'll probably wind up with something like, a, you know, a Golden Hawk power plant. And, mm. you know, at that point, you, you can in good conscience go with like coilover suspension and disc brakes and you'll be fine. Like at that point, no one's going to blame you for not doing that. Right. And if they do, oh, well. <laughs> exactly. So I guess my resto mod, you see, here's the thing. Like most people think about taking a new engine and putting it in an old car. And the first thing I thought about when I thought about resto modding is how much I loved the look of like the ninth generation Ford F-150. And that like early 90s F-150 design, fully fared, streamlined, looked so modern. And you could get body styles that aren't available today. Like today, I think you have to go to Mexico to find an American truck with a short bed and a standard cab. Back in the early 90s, you could yeah. still find those on an F-150. So why not take like a 1960s era solid lifter, like fe 427 side oiler drop that in and like create what the first f-150 lightning should have been that's cool be fun, right? <laughs> yes it would <laughs> and, and, yeah and then you can you could throw on like you know some sort of a modern fuel injection system so it runs good and starts easy and you know you've got a manual transmission you've got rear wheel drive you've got the lightest possible full-size truck and it's just like a redneck ferrari it's basically the opposite of conventional resto mod. That's yeah. sick. <laughs> it's the opposite. It's the old heart in like a new car, you know, instead yes. of like a young heart into an old man, you put like an old heart into a young man. <laughs> Both of us are old school at heart anyway. So that, that actually, that actually fits pretty good. Let's, let's do that one day. <laughs> no, we'll put that on. That's on the agenda. That's, that's item number like one Oh one in the shop. Okay. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Hold that thought. So, so where where do you go? So you, the 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 Studebaker is kind of where this this dream starts. What's going on? Because you've got a couple underway right now. Yeah. So, yeah, <laughs> I'm looking around the shop, looking at it, just thinking, wow, I've got a lot to do. Um, so I I have a really hard time with overloading my mind of just everything. So in the immediate, I am trying to get through what I currently have. So I am in the middle of finishing my 89 S, uh, Chevy S10 extended cab. That truck has undergone a lot of revisions over the last couple of years, but the final revision, um, it's got a 5.3 LS that's been slightly bored over um, stage two uh, cam and bunch of other things really really nice setup uh beefed up 4l60 it's gonna have coilovers on front modern wheel and tire setup i'm in the middle of doing a, a complete custom sound system build right now so that's that's going to be coming together in the next couple of months um i want to start diving back into crystal's uh, 69 chevelle pretty soon because that car is just going to be wicked sleeper status it's going to be awesome it's got a 6ls with a small cam full coilovers willwood brakes i mean a qa1 suspension it's 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 got all all the big names <laughs> um but i'm 
honestly most excited about the 240SX because that has, like I said, that was that was my first legit project on YouTube. And I started that car when I did not have the skill to finish it. <laughs> no knowledge, no skill, no nothing. I've come a long way since then and still have a long way to go. But the light is at the end of the tunnel. That car is so much fun to drive. And it's such a unique build in my eyes, you know, 240s are everywhere and they've been built every which way you can think of. But I, I love my car and it's going to be so cool when it's done. By the way, guys, if you want to support the podcast, uh, head over to Saab Kyle on the web. You can actually buy some merch with the 240 on it to finish yes. that project for him. I appreciate that. That's our plug right there. <laughs> I, guess, I guess another Restomod idea. I don't even know if it's a Restomod, but it's like, it's a dream car of my youth. I always watch, like, I've got the C5 Corvette, and I watched Johnny O'Connell and Andy Pilgrim and Ron Fellows and all those guys racing in IMSA back in the early 2000s. And I always thought that it would be great to actually have a 427-powered C5 because they had the K-Tech-powered, like, Pratt & Miller-built C5R. And, you know, C5 was cool and all. The Z06 was awesome when it dropped. But can you imagine having a 427 in the modern world? Well, with the C6 Z06, that happened. You've got the LS7, find one that crashed backward, pull the engine out. You've got the wiring harness. You've got the engine. You've got a transmission that should be just basically a plug and play into a C5 because a C5 is a C6. Um, I don't know if that's a resto mod or if it's that, that's just a hot rod, but that would be really cool. Let's, let's call it a modern hot rod. Um, because, you know, back in, back in the day when, when the hot rod culture first came out, they were yeah. just, I mean, think about the 70 years, 60, 70 years that passed since then and all of the stuff that is available at our fingertips. Back then, they used what they had. They had a relatively narrow scope of vehicles to pick and pull parts from. Um, so it was the name of the game is creativity. And I think that is what is lacking mainly out of out of uh, you know our car culture now. Like uh, like we said at the beginning, we're spoiled. We need to get back to those creative roots. Just because it's you know may seem silly to some, doesn't mean it's silly. It just it's different. It's cool, and that, that's what I love about resto modding. It's completely up to your interpretation. Yeah, and it's funny because you mentioned back in those early days, the inventiveness people had, you know, Allard put Cadillac engines in little, you know, cycle fendered British sports cars, and they raced with that. You know, there were people who were taking late model post-war Fords and dropping in the Cadillac 331 overhead valve V8, and actually Briggs Cunningham wanted to race one of those at Le Mans, and they told him he was too clever. They said, you know, you can't race a hot rod, you've got to race, you know, a car that uses its own engine. And so he wound up racing an actual like Coupe de Ville and it finished 10th. <laughs> but I mean, <laughs> that's cool. <laughs> so that's that's when he started building his own cars. And that's when he switched over to the Chrysler Hemis. He's like, I'm going to call it a Cunningham. I'm going to say this is my engine. The two things will be built together. So it's not a hot rod. Prove me wrong. That's so sweet. <laughs> Oh, the gears are just turning like crazy right now. I, I'm, I'm sorry. I don't mean to add to the list. I know you've already got a lot going on. The list grows. <laughs> How about, okay, so I got a friend who has a Singer 911. And I would say that in the world of resto mods, you could say they're overrated. You could say they're overpriced. And they might be all of that. But certainly the best known super premium resto mod is uh, what 
Rob Dickinson is doing with Singer Reimagined, taking like 964 era 911s and with like a cost, no object approach, everything is remanufactured, nut and bolt, all the parts custom, bodywork and carbon fiber, um, you know, Ed Pink racing engines, all sorts of stuff. So maybe in that spirit, I would take my all time favorite Thunderbird, which is the Bullet Bird. They only made it from 61 to 63. I'm not going to take like an M code tri power. I'm not going to take an original sport roadster. I'm going to find a convertible that's just busted, drivetrain blown or missing, gone for years. It uh, doesn't even have to be super original interior. But what I'm going to do, and now we're talking singer level budgets, is I'm going to get a vintage 1960s ford 427 single overhead cam i'm gonna oh yes i did oh yes i did i'm going to install that and i'm gonna plug in a four speed and like a nine inch rear end modern coilovers disc brakes and then i'm gonna fit like the sport roadster tonneau kit to make it look like a two-seater and a cost no object interior job but that would be like the dream that's like that the, that's the Bugatti of restaurants. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, I, I get people asking me all the time, like it, when it comes to planning the initial stages of a build, because let's be honest, there's like one percent of people out there that can have a no no cost. Yeah. Uh, don't worry about it. Just here, just take my money and go. Um, but like trying to figure out what the right direction to take your resto mod because there is there are limitless opportunities out there as far as upgrades motors brakes transmissions interior parts electronics technology i mean just so on and so forth so trying to focus your efforts and prioritize what money needs to be spent where is very challenging um I actually, in, interestingly enough, we had a 72 Chevelle here uh, not too long ago that originally had a 383 stroker and another shop had installed an LS3 and a 6L80 out of a 5th gen Camaro. And um, the car was pulled from said shop and brought over to our shop to be finished. So the motor and trans in the car hadn't been wired yet. So my business partner, Joe, built a custom harness for it that, in particular, allowed the bump shift feature of the 6L80 to work in this 72 Chevelle. So not only does it have an automatic, I mean, like we were talking about before, you know, if we could put a T56 manual transmission, you know, fun, 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 fun. But if you have just a regular automatic, yeah. But a newer automatic that has the capability of bump shift or slap shift or whatever you want to call it, it is totally doable. And it brings that newer functionality into it. Oh, yeah, without a doubt. I mean, my, my fantasy Thunderbird, like, you got to figure out how to redesign the center console. Stuff's going to have to be custom made. How do you fit a third pedal in the wheel well? Like, yep. you know, that, that's all like crazy stuff. But in the realm of possibility, you know, being able to do fabrication at a local level and take parts that are good, like take a 6L80, which is a great transmission for a hot rod build, which is modern, you know, which doesn't have the inefficiencies. So like people love the power glide because it can take unlimited power, but it's also incredibly inefficient. A modern lockup torque converter, you know, gives you the ability to do things that, you know, hot rodders in the 50s and 60s couldn't have imagined. And the, the vehicle will be that much better for it. 
Right. I mean, it, it can be very overwhelming with, with, you know, trying to figure out this and that and whatnot. People in the forties and fifties, they didn't have that much stuff to think about. <laughs> Oh. It was all mechanical. It was all in your adjustments and carb tuning and, and spark plug gap and all that kind of stuff. Now, woo. <laughs> yeah, it's funny. Like all the stuff that used to be hard, like decoking a cylinder head at 30,000 miles, you know, like, you know, a, a, adjusting timing on mechanical ignition, uh, you know, rebuilds before 100,000 miles. Cars don't need any of that anymore. Um, now the hard stuff is getting through the electronics or, you know, the hard stuff can be, you know, trying to make new electronics work in an old car. And, you know, there's, there's solutions for that too. Like, you know, we, we, if you're talking about talking about LS swaps, for example, there are companies out there that make swap harnesses to where you literally have to plug in all the sensors on the LS plug in the adapter to the, the whatever vehicle's chassis harness that you're using, literally plug it in, plug in a remapped, base-mapped ECM or whatever, and just go. You can do that. There are self-learning systems out there. Like uh, I have a ter- Holly Terminator X Max system in the S10, being that that has a cam and some different stuff in it. Like you've got self-learning stuff, which is crazy. Um, but at the same time, if you want to start your, the foundation of your resto mod with an LS, because compared to a traditional small block Chevy, a just standard LS breathes better. It's a more efficient motor. It's just a better design. The gaskets are nicer. It's just easier to work on. Header bolts are way easier to get to on an LS, (laughs) but you can get a cathedral port carburetor intake manifold for it. Um, you can, uh, you know, then put one of those Holly sniper fuel injection systems on and it'll look like, I mean, technically it would be a carbureted Chevy small block. Um, gosh, I, I can just, I'm, I'm going on a tangent. There's all sorts of stuff. <laughs> and, you, know, you, can, you can have fun with like the rest of mod thing without spending a billion dollars. Like for me, the attainable rest of mod thing I could actually like pull off myself would be like take an LS3 take a 1970 vet that at some point was like a 350 with an automatic transmission you know the powertrain's gone it's a c3 even with chrome bumpers people don't regard them that highly the market just never happened for those and i don't know why but you take a chrome bumper like pre-1973 car you drop in a modern like c6 ls3 drivetrain and you just enjoy i mean it gives you the opportunity to upgrade down the line there's a million things you can do with an ls but if you've got the basic vehicle wiring harness you know engine control computer fuel injection system like kyle said it's plug and play and it shouldn't be that hard to drop an ls into a previous chevy small block car different eras but shouldn't be that hard no there's there's adapter brackets and all this kind of stuff it is it is for even rel- relatively uh, novice uh, people when it comes to doing this kind of stuff, like, you know, it, it may take you a little while, but oh, it yeah. is absolutely doable. And the thing is, you know, the way I justify stuff like this, like what we're talking about and taking an old body and upgrading all of the other stuff, like, yeah, you get the, the reliability, the serviceability and all that stuff, yada, yada, yada. But think about it for a second you go and spend sixty thousand dollars on some new sports car of your choice which is 
relatively cheap in today's market. Um, or you can take $60,000 and put into your dream, you know, Corvette LS3 build right there. At the end of the day, you have something highly unique that you just can't go buy off the dealership floor. And at the end of the day, arguably speaking, that's an appreciating asset at that point. It's not going to just drop off like any new car nowadays, unless you're talking about some special edition new car that's like, you know, whatever. Those are those are the extreme situations. But you've got something that's an investment. Yeah, and I think people used to say, oh, well, a hot rod, it's a sunken cost. It's not worth anything. But that was before hot rods were invited to exhibit on the lawn at Pebble Beach. It's a genre by itself. You know, tell Chip Foos and Boyd Coddington that hot rods aren't investments. I mean, right. anything done well is a good idea. Anything done well can be a really great thing in the car and world. Unfortunately, I think there's kind of a generational gap, too. Like, I think it kind of started with our generation, and it's even more distant or whatever you want to say with with like you know gen zers or, or whatever like you have a lot of people that don't have they didn't they didn't grow up in this scene like we did they didn't have family members that had any kind of ties to these old vehicles they they've got nothing to relate relate them with so you know they may see this 56 Fairlane Crown Victoria and be like, oh, that's really pretty, but that's not something I want to own. It's got, you know, quote, no performance or, you know, it's only got a three-speed automatic. Like, there's nothing they can do with that. But I think the idea of resto modding with everything that we've been talking about is a way to bring back the core hot rod culture for a modern era. It'll keep a lot of these vehicles that would otherwise just rot away in the woods on the road. You know, yes, we want to preserve history. Yes, we want to keep original, keep certain original cars original for historical value. But there's so many cars out there that are either, uh, you know, just to the point where, yeah, yeah you see, you see, you're going to keep a car out of the crusher. Like, yes. it might be that this old Challenger or this old Barracuda was originally like a slant six or a 318. Yeah. Does it have any value at like the auction circuit? Like the people who only want 446 packs, Superbirds, uh, you know, Charger Daytonas, Street Hemis. No, it means nothing to that crowd. But if you're saving a charismatic old car from getting crushed, recycled, or parted out, then you could actually say that the resto modding is breathing life back into a car that was probably at the end of its string. I mean, it's right. It's not bastardizing something that's sacred. It's taking something that was going to be a lost cause and bringing it back to life. Most people are not going to restore base model cars. And if, you, if you're able to buy one of these cars, like let's say, you know, you want your dream Dodge Charger, but yes. you can't buy it because it's $150,000. You find, you know, that's that's kind of an extreme example, but you it, find it one. I remember right. when those were $5,000 used cars in the early right. 90s. Yeah, 446 pack, all original induction parts in the trunk. It's, okay. it's wild. Yeah. <laughs> but like, you know, you, you could take a certain trim level of that vehicle for and you know, buy it for next to nothing. I'm not talking charger, just, just vehicle in general. Sure. And then make it your own. And then at the end of the day, you'll have less money than $150,000. Yeah, exactly. <laughs>
So I got a question about a car that's been up and about on your social media. And I want to give you the last word here because I always thought that the 80s era Monte Carlo SS looked like the business. Yes. The reality of the performance never measured up. But to me, when I picture 80s muscle car, it's not the Grand National. It's not the GNX with their turbo sixes. I like those. But I think of the burble of the V8 of that Monte Carlo SS and what I imagined it would be like to drive. And you kind of lived that dream. Yeah, um, I'm still living that dream or, or nightmare. <laughs> 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 that everybody has a car that just seems to never play favor with them. That is my car. <laughs> I've got an 85 Monte Carlo SS. It is beautiful. It's the dark burgundy with the claret interior. So it's like the burgundy on burgundy. And, you know, I bought it with good intention, but that car was war slap out. Um, I had, I found valve spring retainers in the oil pan when I pulled it all out. <laughs> Somebody just drove the crap out of that thing. <laughs> but anyway, I wanted to do like a period correct resto mod. And so I ended up putting a new 305 in it, which nobody thought made sense. And I still don't think it made sense, but it's, you know, whatever. <laughs> but the bit, the most important part of it, um, me and Joe put together a custom tune port fuel injection system for it with a custom standalone wire harness, upgraded ECM, you know, with the prom chip and all that stuff. Cause it was all like burned chips back then. You couldn't just hook up an OBD2 and program it. Um, but it's got a lot of upgraded bolt-on stuff. It's, um, you know, because uh, Monte Carlos, the SSs, they they only came with the electronic-controlled uh, Rochester carburetors. They never were equipped with fuel injection. The electronic cars were the closest they got, but, the, you know, the tune port systems were only on the Camaros, Firebirds, and Corvettes. So it's, it's very unique. I, I really like how it turned out. Um, and I had it just pretty much mechanically sound until I was test driving it the last time. And I think the transmission pump exploded. <laughs> yeah, it made a mess. So I have to park it and I probably won't touch it for six more months or something. <laughs> no, it, it, it's, it's good because we, we got all, we got people all giddy and excited about this rest modding thing. And then at the end, we just brought them back down to earth. <laughs> yeah. Just, you know, it, it's. You know, right, right when you're riding on cloud nine, this car is so cool and stuff. And then it's like, get back down there. You can't be too excited. <laughs> the transmission pump exploded. <laughs> so, oh, so man. That's, that's sort of where we are. We're going to revisit this topic of rest of mods and custom builds. And, uh, of course, garage arrivals, because between Kyle and I, we've got like a, a motor pool in operation. We're not yep. Hertz, but we're not far from it. <laughs> I'm looking forward to it. So, Kyle, folks want to find the Saab Kyle universe online. Where can they find you? Saab Kyle 04 LLC on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And if you just type in Saab Kyle 04 on YouTube, that'll be the first thing that pops up. All right. I'm Tim. He's Kyle. Thanks for logging on. This has been the Four Wheel Dive. Thanks for listening, guys.